Listener Production. Hello, it's Antoinette Latouf here. So, as a first home buyer, the Australian property market can be a really cruel beast as you save up for your deposit, you see all the doom and gloom headlines about the impending property crash, and maybe you started rubbing your hands together. But only to find that even the big banks have had to admit they've gotten it wrong. Combank, for example, was predicting a 15% decline in national property prices, but it's hit the skids at around 9%. They expected the decline to last until later this year, but the latest data reveals the last two months have seen positive growth and Sydney's leading the recovery. So what happened? And is this really the bottom? A lot of people think just interest rates are the main factor in the market, but it's really clear there's a lot of other factors that tend to influence housing markets. And at the moment, it really does seem to be this imbalance between really strong migration coming into Australia and very low housing supply levels. In this episode of The Briefing, one of the most respected property analysts in the country gives an in-depth take on the property market. But first, today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Monday the 8th of May. Well, if you haven't got enough, the coronation celebrations continue. King Charles III's coronation concert is underway this morning. Katy Perry, Lionel Richie and Take That are just some of the artists who will be performing. The show's taking place at Windsor Castle. There are 20,000 members of the public in attendance. And if you've got King Fever, you can catch a replay of it tonight on Channel 7. Or if you're like me, and maybe you watched Elsa from Frozen's Coronation, like what felt like 97,000 times, <laughs> um, and are still traumatised, you can give it a miss. Um, Katrina, have you been watching much of the Coronation? I think like everyone else, I was glued to see, you know, what Harry would be doing, where he'd be sitting, who'd he be talking to. And of course, you know, I was reading all of the analysis about that too. British newspapers have even hired like body language experts and lip reading experts to see what he was saying. Um, Apparently he was saying things like, oh, look at that. And isn't that lovely? And oh, hello there. That became a whole article. Uh, I kind of thought he cut a bit of a lonely figure. It must have been incredibly awkward for him. And he pretty much got out of there the minute it was over, got in a car and hit the airport. I don't blame him. And the speculation continues. I mean, people are obsessed with loving and loathing the royals. Apparently, Kylie Minogue isn't performing because of growing Republican sentiment here. Oh, wow. Um, uh, yeah, and I'm like, mm, I, don't, I don't know how true that is uh, because, you know, allegedly um, Meghan Markle was also there. She was just dressed as an old man. It's just hilarious. Oh. The, the, the ta- did you see that? There've been like articles after articles. I'm like, people that have was lost so their funny minds. though because people thought that person was wearing a disguise and it turned out to be an incredibly famous composer who of course was not in disguise at all but I did love all of the fashion I thought that there was some incredible outfits Julie Bishop flying the flag for Zimmerman an Australian designer she was impeccable as always so yeah there was plenty to watch 
The Treasurer says tomorrow night's budget will include an almost $15 billion cost of living package over four years. It looks like the government can do more on welfare payments than expected. There's a misconception out there that says that most of the upward revision to revenue is from commodity prices. Uh, the much bigger contribution to the improvement is a stronger labour market and the beginnings of welcome wages growth. Uh, that will make a bigger contribution, about 40%. Treasurer Jim Chalmers there. While he also announced $1.5 billion will be allocated to electricity bill relief for around 5.5 million households and 1 million small businesses, the federal government has already announced cheaper medicine and cheaper childhood education. Katrina, it feels like every year there are fewer and fewer surprises in the budget because so much of it is leaked mm. or announced prior. I know, in particular this package for energy bill relief, which is said to make a, a big difference for struggling householders. Uh, it's all because of a $2.4 billion tax hike on offshore gas. It was interesting mm. to see over the weekend the big gas companies coming out in favour and saying, we're fine with that, whatever it takes, so long as householders, you know, are given some relief. And the, the Greens then came out and said, well, look, if gas companies are happy with that tax hike, <laughs> well, clearly it can't be high enough. Oh, hilarious. It's also a really tough budget and a tough balancing act because Australia's most vulnerable are really struggling with cost of living. But of course, they need to balance out that spending, not to tip inflation. So the government will certainly have to be walking a fine line. Something that I think is interesting and hasn't been spoken about too much is apparently it'll also include cracking down on vaping, hopefully a ban to um, recreational vaping altogether because they're they're worried that it's actually creating um, a generation of nicotine addicts just when we thought that we, we'd, we'd done a good job phasing smoking out. Another week, another mass shooting in the US. This time, at least eight people have been killed after a lone gunman opened fire at a shopping centre in Texas. The gunman was killed by police outside that shopping centre with the motive still unknown. In a statement by the White House, President Biden has asked Congress to send him a bill banning assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. So, Antoinette, there have been roughly 200 mm. mass shootings in America this year. I, I was listening to an interview recently from a company CEO who was saying there are so many of her employees on stress leave or trauma oh leave because their kids are too scared to go to school so they have to stay home with their kids. I just can't even imagine that. And it's really difficult for Australians to get their head around it because after each of these mass shootings, like many of us start asking, well, like control your guns, take the guns away like why can't they control these gun laws why don't they pass congress given there is a majority public support and after each of these shootings there's a whole heap of outrage um and i guess the thing is that you know gun owners don't agree on much but they are often in support of restrictions like background checks for gun sales or that if somebody has been convicted of a crime that you can take guns away from those people um but given that bearing arms altogether isn't popular. Um, it's a mm. constitutional right that people take very seriously. And a, a kind of not so fun fact, the last time gun control passed in the Congress, that was 1994 on assault weapons. And many of the legislators who actually voted for that bill um, ended up losing their seat in the election oh, that wow. year.
Yeah, and experts say at the moment you could probably get a majority now in the Senate of 50 Democrats plus a Republican or two to support some form of gun control, but it wouldn't then pass the Senate. So why isn't a majority enough to pass? It all comes down to this pesky Senate filibuster. It's a tradition which allows a small group of senators to hold up a final vote on a bill unless a three-fifths majority of senators vote to stop them. And I think it also comes down to um, national priorities. Obviously, the Senate filibuster um, is an enormous obstacle, but people at the moment are also really worried about the federal budget deficit and healthcare is still an enormous problem in the US. So, uh, yeah, I think politically and historically accurate term for all of it is a massive shit show. Mm. That's it for the headlines. Next up, Tom Telly takes a look at property prices rising again and why this is just the latest nightmare for first home buyers. So it was meant to be the worst property downturn ever. A record interest rate hiking cycle put the fear of death into homeowners, but the so-called crash could be over already. So good news for anyone whose life savings were being destroyed. And bad news if you want to buy your first home and escape the horrific rental market. Tim Lawless is the Executive Research Director of CoreLogic, one of Australia's leading property market research companies. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. When you look at the history of housing downturns in Australia, how does this one compare? Well, interestingly enough, this isn't the largest downturn the Australian housing market has seen. That was actually the previous downturn that ran between the middle of 2017 and 2019. And at that stage, we saw our capital city index fell by about 10.2%, but it took nearly two years to get there. The most recent uh, downturn we've been through, or we'll probably been through, it's still a little bit uncertain whether or not this is actually the trough, but we saw housing values on our capital city index drop by 9.7%, so nearly as much as the previous uh, record drop, but it only took 10 months to get there. So in many ways, this has been a very short but sharp drop in housing values, which isn't surprising when you consider it's also been the fastest rate hiking cycle on record as well. Right. So it wasn't the biggest. It was more just the velocity of this downturn that made it unique. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a significant downturn. Don't get me wrong. It just wasn't the largest on record. So a 9.7% drop is still substantial. And when you look around the different areas of the country, Sydney was down nearly 14%, for example. Um, Brisbane values fell a little bit more than 11%. Melbourne was down nearly 10%. So there was quite a bit of diversity and uh, some markets hardly record any fall at all. Like Perth uh, is uh, back at a cyclical high now. So do you think the downturn is over or are we just witnessing a supply shortage that's creating a, a false flat or a mirage? It's looking convincingly like this is the trough or we've moved through the trough probably a couple of months ago. The sort of things we look for to call a a bottom of the marketplace would be a trend for starters. So one month of a fall is meaningful, but it doesn't necessarily mean there might not be more down down the track. So we've seen two months now where housing values have actually shown a a modest rise at a macro level. Sydney's up for three months running now, and Sydney does tend to lead the cycles. But we've also seen a lot of the other peripheral data outside of evaluation measurements. So we've seen things like auction clearance rates, 
are holding a little bit above the long run average now. It's taking less time to sell a property uh, in terms of days on market. Discounting rates have eased off a little bit, meaning vendors don't have to uh, uh, negotiate as much anymore. So when you look at previous downturns, has there ever been a case where you think the market's hit the trough and you get a couple of months of growth and then it actually continues in a downward trajectory? It's actually pretty rare that there are a few examples where that has happened and they tend to be in periods where there's different policy decisions being rolled out. So a good example might be back in, say, late 2014 or early 2015. That's when we saw the first round of macro financial policies being rolled out in Australia, which you might remember the first one was a a 10% limit on investment credit growth. That saw the market move very briefly into a negative environment. And then once lenders hit their targets, credit freed up again. And then a second round of macro potential was rolled out, which was a, um, a limit on interest only lending. The market fell again. And then the Royal Commission happened, which uh, really tightened up service serviceability. So credit really tightened up. So that was a really good example of a lot of volatility introduced by policy decisions. And then the market rebounded through the middle of 2019 on the back of the federal election outcome, lower interest rates and an easing in credit policy. A lot of people think just interest rates are the main factor in the market, but it's really clear there's a lot of other factors that tend to influence housing markets. And at the moment, it really does seem to be this imbalance between really strong migration coming into Australia and very low housing supply levels. Okay, but reading between the lines of what you just said, it sounds like without a new external shock to this market, it's unlikely that this would be a false dawn. It's more likely when you look at the history of downturns that this will be the trough and from here you'll see growth. It's looking convincingly so, absolutely, unless there's some sort of new development. For example, if uh, inflation stays quite high, it's already very high and there's a bit of speculation it could be quite sticky, then that could cause the RBA to reconsider their interest rate environment. Or we could see another shock. You know, think of the GFC or the pandemic. These are shocks Mm. to the system you simply can't plan for. But I think without anything like that that's completely unexpected, it does look like the market is troughed out. That doesn't mean we're heading back into a new growth cycle by any means. It probably more means the market is moving back into some level of stability we're not really expecting values to start rising materially until interest rates come down quite a bit. The Australian housing market is made up of different geographical markets, but it's also made up of different property markets within those geographical boundaries. I'm talking about houses versus apartments and the sort of properties that say people retiring might buy compared to people buying their first home. So thinking about the the kinds of homes that first home buyers are looking at, What does that market look like now? Has that seen much of the downturn that other parts of the market have seen? What's it like for those people sort of trying to compete in that space? It's a really interesting dynamic. If we look at, uh, say, the most affordable quarter of the market, so we we have a a stratified hedonic index, so I know it's a bit of a mouthful. Essentially, all that means is we're measuring changes in housing values across the premium end of the market and the cheapest quarter of the market. That lower quartile, that really cheap uh, end of the marketplace, hasn't seen anywhere near as much volatility. It didn't show as much growth through the upswing, and it hasn't shown anywhere near as much of a fall through the downturn. And interestingly enough, this recent stabilization, if not growth in the market, is mostly being led by the upper quartile, the premium end of the market. 
which tends to lead the cycles as well. So that's probably some good news for first home buyers is we're not seeing as much, I suppose, positive momentum building across that more affordable end of the marketplace. And arguably, some of the, the more affordable areas of our housing markets, which tend to be your outer fringes, your mortgage belts, possibly they could be a little bit more prone to further weakness. That's generally where we tend to see, uh, say, balance sheet or mortgage distress more pronounced at a time when the cost of living is really high and the cost of debt is really high as well. So definitely one to watch for that um, uh, that lower quartile or the more affordable end of the market probably won't be as active or um, as buoyant as what we're seeing across premium markets. Okay. So that is actually quite good news for first home buyers that they don't have to rush out worried that the market's going to run away on them. Um, certainly not as much as people in the upper quartile. Absolutely. And and the firm advice I give to any first home buyer is don't try to time the market. You, you sort of make these really high commitment decisions like purchasing a home on your own timeframes, on your own budgets, on your own balance sheets. It's uh, it's a bit of a mugs game to try and time your purchase with changes in, in the housing cycles. Yeah. And I guess, Tim, it's good news, right, for people with mortgages for the market to stabilise because for anyone who'd bought a home in the last couple of years, um, this downturn in the property market was literally eating up their life savings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's, there's definitely some evidence that those people that purchased around the peak would be in a negative equity situation at the moment, especially if they had a small deposit. So if you bought into a market like, say, the Central Coast or the Northern Beaches of Sydney, housing values in those areas fell by more than 15%. Uh, in some cases, uh, to take a look at some a market like Byron Bay or Noosa is a really good example where housing values rocketed about 50 to 60% higher through the upswing, those two markets have fallen by more than 20% from their peaks. So no doubt there will be some recent buyers who are in that unfortunate position where the value of the home is worth less than what they paid for it, but time tends to heal all wounds. Tim, it strikes me that our our housing market is a little bit broken in some ways in terms of its volatility. When prices are going through the roof, it's an affordability nightmare for people trying to get in. But then when they come down really quickly, like we've seen in the last year, that is an even bigger nightmare for people who, as we've just been talking about, have put their life savings into their house deposit. Is there a way of leveling out some of this volatility and is it worse here in Australia? I know in America, a lot of people have much longer term fixed rates, which means when their central bank jacks up rates, it doesn't affect people as quickly. Do you think we have a, a more volatile market here? And should we try and fix that? There's probably two arguments for that, I think, Tom. So on, on the positive side, having most people on variable or floating rates means that monetary policy decisions, so changes in interest mm -hmm. rates, have an immediate flow through into economic activity. Whereas in the US, as you mentioned, most people are on 30-year fixed rates. Changes in monetary policy are really slow moving. So this is a real benefit for the RBA and for policymakers, knowing that as they adjust interest rates or monetary policy, it does have a fairly immediate effect on how consumers behave and how they react and, and that type of thing. So it can slow or stimulate the economy really quickly. But the downside, as you mentioned, is that does result in some volatility and uh, so it's more severe cycles. You've got to remember nearly 60% of household wealth 
in Australia is in the housing asset mm. class. That's much more than than most other countries. Uh, in the US, it's it's completely reversed. Most household wealth is held in equities, like in uh, in share markets. Mm. Partly because the, the tax rules are quite different in Australia. If you pay down your principal place of residence, uh, that's where most people will focus on placing their uh, on th- their income. But you can maximise your leverage on your investment properties. It's the opposite in the US, where you can uh, deduct your mortgage repayments on your principal place of residence, but not on your uh, investment property. So you'll tend to find that um, mortgage balances in Australia for your principal place of residence tend to be very low. It's the opposite in the US. Tim Lawless from CoreLogic. And it was very heartening to hear there that the lower end of the market, the bottom quartile, and that's where first home buyers are generally transacting, is more stable. That it didn't see the big growth or the big declines that the upper end of the market saw. And that's good because the huge and scary decision of buying a home is so much less stressful when the target stops moving. Listener.